Hey listeners, before we get into this episode, I have a quick ask to make. I started this podcast as a research project on how to be a top individual contributor in the product design space. My goal for the show was to learn what it takes to be an individual contributor that's doing amazing, impactful work that they love doing day in and day out and getting paid top dollar while they do it. Becoming that type of individual contributor is the ultimate job security. With close to 100 hours of interview recordings, this has naturally led to the creation of the short form video articles that synthesize my learnings into 10 minute listens of actionable content. You might recognize these as my morning walk episodes or the hashtag shorts episodes. To my surprise, those episodes have been very well received and listeners have enjoyed the synthesis of what I've learned. This has led to the next chapter of my research project, which is beginning to synthesize what I've learned into a new newsletter called Thinking Out Loud About Design that you can subscribe to right now for free. Thinking Out Loud About Design is an email newsletter and podcast that basically contains all my synthesis for my long form interviews. It's pure distilled learnings that you can apply to your career immediately. This content is for you if you are a couple years into your career and you're trying to make that move from mid-level to senior designer and senior designer to staff designer. I mainly focus on becoming high-performing individual contributors in the product design industry. A free subscription gives you full access to the newsletter, podcast episodes, and website. You won't have to worry about missing anything because every new edition of the newsletter goes directly into your inbox. So my ask is this. If you have gotten any value out of the way of product design, or if it's helped you in any way or someone you know, please subscribe to Thinking Out Loud About Design and get the distilled learnings on being a staff-level individual contributor. You can find a link to the newsletter in the show notes of every episode of this podcast and on my LinkedIn page. Just look up Caden Damiano. Thanks again for listening and supporting the way of product design. I wouldn't be doing this if you guys weren't listening. Now, on to the show. Welcome to The Way of Product Design. I'm your host, Caden Damiano. This podcast has one mission, help product designers generate massive value for their clients, their companies, and themselves so they can do the work they enjoy the most. We know design is valuable, but how can you unlock the true value design in your work? To help with this, I interview top performers in design, product management, and engineering so you can understand what's valuable to your stakeholders, your bosses, and your customers. So enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. All right. What do you think? So out of like the whole design thinking philosophy, what do you think is like the most neglected step in that philosophy? So there's like the five steps of design thinking, which is, you know, empathize, which is, you know, doing ethnographic work, define, define the problem that you're working on. And then it's um, ideate. So, you know, coming up with ideas based off what you've uh, defined as the actual problem. The problem should be defined by empathy work. And then it's prototype and test, right? You know, you, the, the mindset of a designer is to build little 
test experiments in the form of any uh, of any kind of prototype. It could be paper prototype to functional prototype, live data prototype. You make prototypes to test your assumptions and start developing a better understanding of the problem space that you're in. And what do you think is the most underappreciated or maybe like like under practice aspect of that philosophy? And I I propose to you that is define. Define is skipped a lot because when you look at people's processes and case studies, you see that they empathize, they do the work to empathize, they build journey maps, they build personas, they do an affinity map after their research trip and they look for, they look for uh, patterns and stuff and they see, they see problems and then they see a problem and they're like, boom, let's ideate. When they didn't develop that problem at all. They jump from problem to ideation, and they have no idea the direction they're, if the direction they're going is the right direction. This hurts design as a profession because it makes it look like design is just shooting at like random stuff at the wall, hoping something sticks. Thinking that the design process, however method you're using is going to save you and that lacks rigor so you've made a research artifact now what what do you do now you how do you take insight and put it into an actionable direction, actionable next steps. Like what, what's the game plan here? And I think the answer to that is understanding how we reason in the first place. Like how, how, how we as humans make sense of the world. And that's through different reasoning methods. And the, and the three common ones are you know deductive reasoning, inductive reasoning, and abductive reasoning. Now abductive reasoning is not as common. Deductive reasoning is this is a bucket full of red marbles. If I grab a marble from the bucket, it will be red. So really like it's a statement of fact it's objective truth if the premise is true then the conclusion must be true also so this is the realm of like scientific holy grails some scientists will spend their whole life trying to get to this objective truth a statement of the premise is true then the conclusion is true and they, sometimes they go their whole careers without actually getting to the truth. They've done so many experiments. The second 
is inductive reasoning. And this is, this is what we use the most as humans because we don't always have the luxury of being able to make a deductive statement to make decisions. We don't always know the objective truth. All we have is our experiences, right? And that's a, it's a really good saying, you know? It's like we, we are the experiences we have, you know? It's not necessarily uh, true, right? So inductive reasoning is you don't see the colors of the marbles in the bucket, but for the last 10 times, you've drawn a marble out and it's been red. So it's been, last 10 marbles have been red. If I take out another marble, it's probably going to be red. So this is experiential mental model based thinking. It's through life experience, you develop mental models that determine like your view of the world, your behavior. And this is the most energy efficient way of living our lives, you know? You're a rustle in the, the bush, it's a, it's a saber-toothed tiger. And even if it isn't, at least you're safe and alive, right? Now, abductive reasoning is the opposite of that. Abductive reasoning goes like this. I found a red marble on the ground. Across the room, there's a bucket of red marbles. This marble must have came from that bucket. Now, this is just a guess. There's no, there's no in, inductive or deductive reasoning to justify it. There's no experiments. There's no direct evidence that that's the case. It's just a hunch, a guess, a connection that's seen. This is a process of association between two unrelated concepts or entities. So, abductive reasoning isn't just used by designers because really like what abductive reasoning is, is like what design thinking activities make us do. Like, I mean, it's like encourages us to think abductively. But we're not, designers are the only ones that think abductively. Think about doctors. Before doctors prescribe something, they will uh, use abduction to start building hypotheses of like what an illness is before they diagnose and, and they, they'll try to diagnose a problem before they prescribe anything. You know, if, if the patient has a hurt stomach, they're not going to say, well, a good doctor's not, not going to say, oh, well, here's, take some pain medicine or which a lot of them do. And so this goes to show our medical system, but like a good doctor will run a series of experiments to narrow down illnesses and design a treatment plan and run blood tests, stuff like that. TV detectives like Sherlock Holmes or, or, uh, um, dang it. I just forgot the name of it, but they're, you know, like a lot of TV detectives, um, there's like one where Idris Elba does it. He's a detective. And uh, they do that, you know. And there's a misnomer that, you know, Sherlock Holmes is a deductive reasoner. He's not. He's actually an abductive reasoner. He's making connections from between unrelated things and making these huge logical leaps. 
seeing that things are that don't aren't like apparently related are connected and then he's solving crimes using abduction I mean it doesn't it's not until the end of the mystery when he solves everything and he learns the whole story that it becomes a deductive statement that this guy killed this person but Sherlock Holmes for most of the time during a case is uh, making hunches like oh you have that tattoo that means you must be you must hang out at this pub in this part of London that kind of stuff now and the 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 great um, musician David Bowie wrote used abduction to write music he used an abductive method called cut up words where he'd write lyrics or ideas he has in his head and then he'd cut them up on little strips of paper and then he'd rearrange them and look for connections between unrelated things to develop new ideas, new lyrics, new songs, even reinvent himself multiple decades in a row. Like his whole career, he managed to stay relevant for the longest time, um, which is a very difficult thing to do as an artist. I mean, even like a company, right? So like I said, design thinking encourages us to think abductively but why do we have these methods why do we create these workshops these things that create distance between us and the problem like why do we do that and the reason is abductive reasoning is a great anecdote antidote to making inductive fallacies and an inductive fallacy is making uh a general conclusion or a general prescription in the problem solving space based off a specific observation and you you've all probably seen this where someone just can't see the forest for the trees oh, this poor guy's really cold outside he's doing some some uh, construction work in this freezing cold if you haven't, if this is your first morning walk episode, I, I like to reflect on what I've learned in my interviews in the books I'm reading in what it's called a morning walk episode. All right, so you, you see inductive fallacies all the time. You know, these are people like old timers at companies, they just can't, they, they're, they've been so focused on their part of the business that they're making general conclusions about the rest of the business and how they should conform to them. And here's the catch. Designers, product managers, engineers, especially engineers that stay at a company for a long time, the longer you're, you're exposed to a problem space, the more experience you get, the more likely you're going to be making an inductive fallacy because you're developing mental models, right? And you're trying to save energy and you're trying to make yourself comfortable because that's human nature. But the paradox is this. The more experienced you get in a problem space, the better your abductions get. So, um, <clears throat> like you're, the more you know about the forest, the leaves, the roots, the deadfalls, 
the better you can start understanding and mapping out the system and understanding how how everything works together. And then you can start making abductions, logical leaps between the unrelated things, the, le- the roots and the leaves, and see how they're connected. And then you can make better decisions. And if there's a problem, you can solve it. So that's why we do abductive reasoning. It helps us avoid those inductive biases that we could possibly make. That's why it's so important we in- incorporate design thinking into our process. That we we pr- we prioritize making abductions over inductions when we are trying to solve a problem. That's just prob- That's the most effective way to innovate consistently over and over again. So the problem is like. Caden, I understand. Cool. We should abduct more, but how does this translate into a solvable problem? And here's the answer. The defined process is really like a simple four-step framework if you look at it. You look for problems as a designer. And you define the problems and problem statements using abduction. So for example, we see a huge drop-off in this part of the flow. You designed it earlier, so you're a subject matter expert on the UI, and you might abduct that, you know, I don't think this UI is very intuitive. I don't know what it is, but I don't feel like it's very intuitive. And you frame that into an opportunity statement. So you convert, you reframe the problem into an opportunity. And usually that's done through how might we, right? Like, and we've done this before. And a lot of people have done this before. But you reframe that problem statement. And it's important that problem is framed as an abduction because you need to give yourself space to be creative. If you do an induction, then the solution's already kind of like biased into your mind. So you go, you reframe it to how might we. And then you're like, okay, so how might we make this more intuitive? And that kind of opens up the world to you uh, to start thinking and prototyping. And then you take those how might we's and you, you convert them into hypotheses. So you could come up with like one, three, you gotta come up with multiple hypotheses. You could, you could establish multiple explanations on why something's not working. So for this case, it could be like, oh, it's a hierarchy. If we improve the hierarchy, we'll improve uh, conversion. And then once you have those hypotheses, then you turn the, you you design experiments around those hypotheses. And now you're trying to get into the world of deduction. That's the goal, right? Is you want to get to you want to solve the mystery. You're Sherlock Holmes. You want to solve the mystery. You made an abduction. Now you're investigating the crime through experiments. And then um, you are testing your hypothesis through the rest of the design process. You're ideating. So ideation is the designing of the experiment to test your hypotheses. And then you start prototyping and testing. And then there's a surprise fifth step. And that's rinse and repeat. Because as you test different ideas, 
your definition of the problem is going to get better. You're going to understand like, oh, that wasn't a good idea. Or, hey, this idea was close to the mark. We felt like we got close. But it helped us understand the problem a little bit more. It wasn't necessarily the hierarchy that we were dealing with here. It was the microcopy on the button. That's what we found out. And um, it can even be bigger. You know, Walmart, I just saw the uh, the Walmart towers. Like, so if you do Walmart pickup, some stores have these huge, gigantic orange towers that hold packages in them. And then you go up to the kiosk and you scan a barcode for your order. And then if the your item's in the machine, it will, it will, the machine will pull your package out from the storage unit in the tower and give it to you. This is a big undertaking, making like a huge investment on Walmart's part into customer experience. And they could be, and they were like, hey, maybe like the lockers aren't that smart. How might we make the pickup experience like as awesome as getting a package from Amazon? And obviously they're like, well, what if we, like it made this giant robotic tower that they could just walk up to and then there's like this magic behind the scenes where it pulls out your package and gives it to you and you don't have to interact with a human, you know? And like, that's really how you define it. So like in review, you've made a design artifact. You have these insights. How do you transfer these insights into actionable next steps? And first, you have to abduct problems. You need to see connections within the whole the system. You know, that means not just doing one empathy exercise. You might do multiple to pull different data points from different spaces, understanding the business constraints, understanding marketing constraints. And then you see connections between all these different things and then you start abducting. And you'll get better at this the more involved you are with the company. Then you reframe those abductions into opportunity statements, opportunities to improve checkout, opportunities to improve this workflow or that workflow. And then once you have those opportunities framed in you know, a, a pretty popular way and effective ways to do a how might we statement, then uh, you take those how might we's and you start building hypotheses. Okay, well, how can we? How, what do you think we could do? And then you, you frame it up as a hypothesis that you could test and then you go into the ideate process. So really the end of define is having a very strong hypotheses grounded in some great observations you made in the research process. And that is how you do it. That's how that's 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 how you can define. And I, I promise you, if you get better at defining problems, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the right definition, but you just just doing defining, creating hypotheses, and having hypothesis hypotheses-driven design is going to save you time. It's going to get. It's going to require less revs to get to the best answer or good enough faster. So I hope this helps. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening to The Way of Prog Design. 
One quick favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your network, your friends, and hit that subscribe button on the show wherever you're listening to it. Thanks again for listening to the show. And I'm really excited to bring more awesome interviews and content your way. So keep listening. You won't be disappointed. <laughs>